Welcome to the Aluminum Linings Podcast, the podcast where we talk about anything except for our day jobs. I am joined once again by Rocky. Rocky came on last time and talked to us about the extraterrestrial hypothesis, and he is back today to tell us a spooky Halloween story. So without further ado, let's jump into it. The year is 1994. On a hot September day, most of the students of Ariel School in rural Zimbabwe are let out for recess. The events that are alleged to have followed are extraordinary, some would say extraterrestrial even, and will leave you asking yourself, why haven't I heard of this before? Yeah, that's a very good question, isn't it? I ask myself that very same thing. This, this case is not the kind of thing that I normally study when I'm looking at the ET hypothesis, mainly because close encounter cases, as they call them, often are you know, one or two people, they're seemingly, you know, leading you on, telling you a story. That's what it seems. And and so I haven't really spent a lot of time on it. But in this particular case, what we have is a, a small elementary school made up of hundreds of children from all around the world, not just local children from the community of Ariel, but from around the world. Uh, a lot of these children were children of diplomats. And uh, soon they would be leaving this school and going back to their home countries, and some of them from Canada, in fact. And so what happened is basically it was a recess about 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, most of the staff, or virtually all of them, were inside a in a staff meeting. A lot of the grade seven students were inside writing some kind of a, an exam. And some of the very young kids were also inside. But So there were over 100 children outside. And on one side of the school, there was over 60 kids in, in sort of one spot. And I'll lay the ground for you. So what this is is a very rural countryside, lots of trees, but open spaces. And the fields that these kids played on weren't really grass. They were kind of a hard dirt clay kind of uh, substance with um, you know little weeds sticking out here and there. And the schoolyard did not have a fence, at least not all the way around it. And in the back, of the schoolyard that led out into the distant countryside were these logs that lay across the ground. And that was the perimeter that the kids were not allowed to cross those logs. And at some point, the children started seeing flashes in the sky, or some of them even thought perhaps that they were, you know, there's something wrong with their eyes. They, they, they kept seeing these bright flashes. And shortly after that, they saw what they believed to be three or so silver oval-shaped craft of some kind in the sky hundreds of meters away and then the largest of the three apparently seemed to land on, on a slight rise a, a little hillside off in the distance a couple hundred meters beside some big boulders and trees and possibly the other two craft landed as well but about 62 kids were on this side of the school and what is interesting is not only is that part of the story totally consistent, what happens next is that some of these children said that people got out. These people were described as wearing tight, black-fitting clothing, something like a, a diver's clothing almost, tight-fitting body type suit, all, all black. They appeared to have no hair and big black eyes or perhaps something over their eyes. A couple of these people from these craft walked towards the children and they were within a meter and a half distance on the other side of the logs just staring at them and all of the children that were in closest proximity described something about the eyes and 
how there was some form of communication there. They described this as pictures being kind of dropped into their heads in a way, or some kind of, you know, some might describe it as telepathic or something, but that was, no one said the words telepathic. They just said that it was a, some kind of communication. These are children. It wasn't words. It was some kind of a message about the environment and, and impending doom on the planet. The children were started using a word it's a little bit interesting. They started saying that they felt we should not get too technologed. And I find that an interesting, you know, an interesting twist on the word technology. We should not get too technologed. And so the children, they have this experience. They felt completely mesmerized in a way. And then at some point they, they broke the stare with these people. And then all the kids simultaneously and this is according to the staff, turned and ran into the school as like one of the teachers described it as like a living snake, just these kids all running in line. And they were they were questioned by the staff. They brought in specialists. News people showed up from the BBC, from Reuters and other news agencies. The story did hit the wire and was on TV. But of course, you know, stories like this, we can't really expect much because the stories like this, they, they come and they go and they, you never hear about them again. But child psychiatrists were sent and, and uh, maybe I'll stop there, see if you have any questions, because it's, there's so much more to this that is, at least regardless of what one believes is the cause, it's a deeply fascinating event. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll get into the question of why haven't we heard this before closer to the end of the podcast. But you did send me some clips and things like that prior to recording. And I noticed in some of the drawings the kids did of the aliens, or I, I suppose people would be a, a better way to phrase that, but they look like stereotypical cartoon aliens. You know, big head, big dark eyes, uh, smaller nose and mouth features. So I guess my question is, is this a matter of kids having ideas put in their head? Or given the time and place that this event occurred, is it very likely that this is something these kids could not have fabricated? Well, I'm always hesitant to say that they could not have fa fabricated this, mm -hmm. but because of course children fabricate all kinds of things. And, and yeah. you know, uh, often people say, you know, children don't tell lies like this. Well, yes, they do. <laughs> right? yeah. But I feel in this case, in this particular incident, that that wasn't the case. There's no evidence at all to, to support that these children had any real exposure to the extraterrestrial hypothesis to aliens in the media. They lived in very rural areas. Now, that doesn't mean to say that none of them had any knowledge of the subject matter in a sense. I mean, it's 1994. I mean, I'm sure they that the idea was out there. However, mm -hmm. when questioned, absolutely none of the children indicated anything that precipitated this in the sense of some kind of, you know, mass hysteria or whatnot. In fact, there was a study done on mass hysteria cases in school children in Africa. Well, there was two studies done. One was in 2009 and one was done in 2011. These were conducted by, oh, now I know I'm going to forget the proper name, but basically <laughs> major medical institutes from the United States and Africa. And um, one can just look this up. And in both studies, it's fascinating that, first of all, they talked about what is mass hysteria. And the basic definition of mass hysteria is basically a situation in which various people all suffer from similar unexplained symptoms. This usually happens with things like diseases, illness, some types of mass panic in, in, in situations 
mass panic is the same thing. It's just that instead of people thinking they had a disease, it's um, that you know something terrible is going to happen, like a war or something, and it's usually precipitated by long periods of stress, right? Okay. Well, these children showed no signs of that, and there was nothing in the background to indicate any such events. So interestingly, there were unknown to these children at the time and, and unknown to people in the area that there, there were reports in the police stations of strange things seen in the sky in the 24 hours before this. So, you know, one might hypothesize that the children heard these stories. Some kid told the story at school and then it turned into a case of mass hysteria. That, of course, is, is a reasonable thought. I would have to reject that theory just based on the fact that I've I've looked into this so deeply. I'm not saying I know what it was, but I'm saying that mm -hmm. I, I do reject that. And of course, when you meet these people today as adults, and every single one of them still sticks to this, this story verbatim, no one has added to the story. No one's taken away from the story. So yeah, I, I reject that idea that it is a case of mass hysteria. And by the way, so did both studies. In fact, in both of those, those studies, they found all kinds of mass hysteria cases around Africa. But in this particular incident, they said, no, whatever these children experienced was a real event. And why they believe it was something like aliens, who knows? But that's truly what these children believe and that they, the psychologists and psychiatrists involved, one of them was a Pulitzer Prize winning child psychiatrist. Now, this was uh, way early on from Harvard University, uh, John Mack. He wasn't part of those studies. He was the original investigator on this from any sort of medical standpoint. So it's it's interesting that I guess we can get into the kinds of questions that was, was asked of these children and then compare those answers they gave as children to the answers they give today. And I, and I realize I've kind of walked away from your question as, as I normally do somehow. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, there is no evidence to support any kind of outside influence not that it's impossible, but there's no there's no evidence to support that. It seems as though something occurred that morning at the same time the children say it did, and that it was something that manifested during recess, not something that manifested itself earlier on and then had some sort of crescendo. It, it, there, there seems to be nothing to indicate that. We talked last time about the difference between quantitative and qualitative data, yeah. and uh, this very clearly falls into the qualitative. Particularly in the 90s, uh, they didn't have smartphones like we did we do today. You know, it's a really remote rural area. So, what else about this case is compelling to you? Great question, and, and one I've been asking myself for mm -hmm. two decades uh, since I've looked into this. There is virtually no qualitative data that I know of really, not 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 much. There there are some oddball radar reports in the area and sightings from pilots and, and people in the area, of course, but that's, again, that, that basically falls into the same category, I think. I mean, the, the radar data is ambiguous, so I can't really even count it, but what, why is it I'm so compelled, basically, by this? It's the, the fact that I have looked at, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of stories over the years on the subject matter and you get to see sort of a, a normal pattern when people are telling a story. You, you get, to, not that I'm a lie detector, not by any means, but you, you, you sort of gather a sense of a situation and the way people go about either exaggerating or even downplaying things. And certainly when people are discussing something that actually happened to them, there is a quality to the way they speak that is, is compelling. Now, if it's one-on-one, -on -one, that's one thing, but when it's 
62 kids all completely in lockstep with their stories. The only difference is being the fact that there were so many of them, they're standing in slightly different positions. They had different angles on the on their visual perception of things, but the descriptions are the same. The fact that for all of these 25 or so years, the fact that these now adults yeah. absolutely have not changed their story. And in fact, they are not even interested in debating it. They're like, look, if you want to hear what happened, we'll tell you. But for them, it's it's their reality. These people have turned out to be environmental scientists, lawyers, um, like um, civil defense lawyers, leaders of their of their particular cities, and and some of them have done very very well. Most of them, in fact. But what is common to all of them is is this this experience and and how they react to each other when they're. Recently, there was a couple of reunions where they brought these people back together for the sake of interviews to get them on camera again as adults. And so that's compelling. When when they were children and they were being questioned by the psychiatrists, the psychiatrists were very careful about how to ask them questions, not to lead them in any way. And, and of course, that's what people will look for. And when the one particular um, child psychologist or psychiatrist there, when he asked questions to the children, you know, he would say something like, you know, well, first of all, what did you see? And they all described the same thing. And they're they're alone when they're doing these interviews. How did it make you feel? Or how did this experience make you feel? And and they would describe the same feelings. And those feelings were generally of dread about the environment. They described all of them, these eyes being extremely, there was something about the eyes that was powerful, not in a mystical sense, but in the sense that perhaps these eyes were the form of communication that, that was used, that there was something there that, that we're just not familiar with. But they all had the feeling that these people, these beings, wanted the children to go with them. And like, like a light switch went off, when they all got that feeling, that's when the kids turned and ran away. And oh. yeah, it's really interesting hearing them describe that on camera as children and then again as adults all these years later. You know, I've had the privilege to meet two of uh, these people, two women. You know, all I could do at the time when I met them was sit and listen to their story because I, I knew little about it. And I was extremely skeptical. Okay. About, I mean, like militantly skeptical about this one. I mean, it, come okay. on, it's, we're, we're talking about aliens landing in a schoolyard. What am I supposed to believe, right? Right. <laughs> you know? But at the end of the day, here's my take on this. And, I, you know, there's so much more to this is that these children are asked questions like, how did it make you feel? And their answers were things like that the beings were interested. That's a, a very interesting and odd answer for a child, I think. They would say things like that they felt that our move towards technological advancement was, was wrong and that we had to be careful and that there was this knowing all of these kids seem to just know that these were not people as we know it, right? Okay. And, um, you know, they were a meter and a half away. This isn't right. some distant silhouette. So now when you listen to them as adults and they're describing the facial features of these people, these beings, it's clear that whatever they saw was not people as we know it. And, and that if this was a hoax, then my God, what a compelling, incredible hoax that's gone on now for 
you know, coming on to 30 years, right? When we look at mass hallucination, there's just no signs and symptoms. There's nothing there to indicate a congruency with other mass hallucination cases. Right. Of course, I, you know, I'm no, no expert, so I've listened to the experts on that, and, and they agree. It's just not that. The news reporters that went from the BBC and Reuters to report on this were war correspondents. The, some of them spoke about, well, one of them definitely from, I believe, the BBC, he spoke about the fact that, you know, compared to any war zone he was in, and he was in the bad ones like Rwanda and Somalia and all kinds of horrible places, Cambodia, he described this, these interviews as the thing that scared him the most in his whole career, but yet changed him. And so everybody who's sort of encountered these people and listened to them is finds themselves in a position of being awkward because it's very somehow extremely compelling. You know, is this some psychological phenomena that has only affected one group of people once ever in history, or is it extremely common and we just don't pick up on it? Are there all these kinds of possibilities? Yes, there are. But isn't there also the possibility that this time the witnesses got it right? You know, of course it's a possibility, and it's one that I realize seems infinitesimally unlikely. But that's the thing with odds and possibilities. It doesn't seem like the phenomena gives a crap. (laughs) So so, uh, we don't actually know. I mean, our best scientists, when they talk about the possibilities for intelligent life outside of, you know, our own solar system in the greater galaxy and universe, it's a crapshoot. They don't know, right? Mm -hmm. Many nowadays say, well, it's highly likely that there's all this life out there. And others say, well, there's the Fermi paradox. You know, if it's out there, how come we don't see it? Well, maybe we do. We just don't realize it. I don't know. I don't know. Why haven't people heard about this? That's a, sorry that you leave that for the end. My mistake. No, no, it's all good. I do have one more question before we get to the, uh, why haven't we heard of this before? Yeah. And my question is, with some healthy skepticism in mind, we're at least entertaining the idea that this is a compelling story. Yeah. If that's the case, you know, why school kids in the middle of nowhere? Why children at all? This is more of a strictly in-your-opinion type question, but what do you think the benefit would be if these kids were visited by extraterrestrials? Why wouldn't they talk to somebody, you know, with some clout? Right. Fascinating and super important question. So assuming assuming this was extraterrestrial, assuming this actually happened, uh, and this is something I've thought about for two decades, maybe more, is exactly that why that location is it was it happenstance was it was there something special about that place or or was it just a you know just a random encounter they had to stop for oil or something it's interesting that these children were a lot of them from the families of diplomats so they they would soon be moving back to their home countries all around the globe and if if these were extraterrestrials and they were to you know say stop on the white house lawn within about six seconds, they'd be vaporized by all the missiles pointing at them, right? I mean, it's, it's not safe. Now, if you want to do something like change uh, the way a group of people thinks, and if you want to have some sort of a slow, a slowly digested encounter, a slow disclosure of this reality, let's say, then perhaps the best way to do that would be to change the minds of the young before those minds are, are firmly stuck in a in a rigid dogmatic scientific belief system and mm-hmm. so by experiencing something so young and leaving behind by the way exactly zero evidence of the event i believe the children are are possibly given an opportunity to make a choice 
One, because there's no physical evidence, they can kind of chalk it up to a, well, that was weird and it was probably nothing. On the other hand, those that perhaps were a little closer and understood what was going on a little bit more will now live with that for the rest of their lives, not wondering, but knowing that that actually occurred. For them, it wouldn't be a question. It would be an absolute fact that this happened. And for the rest of their lives, they've got that knowledge. And so their point of view on the nature of reality itself would be slightly different than the rest of us. They would know, they wouldn't wonder. And so I think that that then could lead to people like this talking, people like this passing on this story to make others at least contemplate the idea in, a, in, a, in another way. And so that maybe, now this is really going out there, but maybe the idea is that before they make their presence known, they want to make it known slowly, right? And interestingly, talk about walking into a bear's den. I mean, you're going to go to another species and the first group you talk to privately is the children. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Talk about taking a risk. Now, now, the other thing to take from that is nobody was hurt, right? Nobody was physically hurt. Um, and the, the, the adult version of these children, you know, they're not hurt. They're extremely compelled by this. Um, mm -hmm. They are moved by it. They're solid and they're firm in their position on what occurred. They seem to believe this with every fiber of their being. So that's my hypothesis on why there, you know, and, and why that way. It's just a fascinating thing, regardless of whether or not this really was extraterrestrials. What a thought. And so yeah. interestingly, from that hypothesis, here we are now discussing this very event. And mm -hmm. people who are listening to your podcast who have never contemplated this subject are now possibly contemplating it. Now, they might all be thinking, yeah, this is horse you know, manure. <laughs> but I challenge anybody to do some research on it because it's 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 food for thought. That's mm -hmm. what I'll say. Well, well, that leads us to our last question, our question that you've kind of been chomping at the bit to answer here today. Why haven't we heard of this? You know, surely a mass sighting, a bunch of school kids, it should be a hot topic. Okay, so there is. I'm going to try to give a short answer, but the problem is that the, okay. ans the answer for this is mm -hmm. um, multi-pronged, okay? Okay. Number one most important thing is that, in fact, the journalists and the different institutes that had ownership of the films, the interviews with these children, uh, made a decision quite some time ago, shortly after the incident, to basically stop airing and to protect that footage until such time as those children were adults so they wouldn't be harassed and oh, harangued yeah. by pe people like myself you know <laughs> now some people would disagree with that but um i think there's enough evidence there to prove that considering that virtually all of the film was purchased by one group and they they've kept it almost up until maybe seven eight years ago they've kept it completely off the books also now there's a there's a psychological reason here and that is that often people don't pay attention to these stories why would you right mm -hmm. so even if you saw a news story on it you'd probably turn the channel you probably wouldn't pay attention to it or even remember it so there's that there's there's a deeper i don't know if it's deeper but there's another factor and that is there's a ridicule factor to the whole subject matter right people don't like to discuss the subject matter because you know people like myself who would like to discuss the 
hypothesis in a serious manner are often just called names. And um, mm -hmm. it, it takes a thick skin to even discuss the subject. Also, there's been great effort put into dissuading people from discussing the subject. And, and that's, there is something that people can look up called Project Grudge. And this was a, a CIA and United States Air Force program that was basically set up to de not debunk, but to turn the subject on its head, to turn it into a subject of ridicule. There's many reasons for that. One of those reasons was that the United States Air Force back in the 50s did not want every light in the sky getting reported as aliens because they were afraid if that happened, the Russians might figure out a way to exploit that kind of panic to preempt an attack of some kind. So the Air Force didn't want people talking about it. So they, they created an aura of ridicule. Deeper yet, the last part to this answer is really mm -hmm. something. And it's and it's on it's along the lines of that last answer, except for it's it directly involves the CIA, and that is that the CIA did set up a program in 1953 to study this in great secrecy with an exceptionally high budget. And they continued to ridicule this, but the number one reason that they set up that program in order to study this in, in secret, and, and the, the number one reason that they would harass people and, and threaten people that talked about this is they wanted to be able to hear the signal, so to speak. If everybody is, is making up UFO stories, if something good comes along, they may miss it. So what they wanted to do is if somebody had something that they felt was solid, they would basically scare those people into not talking. And then if something similar came up, they would likely know that it wasn't just a, a media thing that caused this. It may be another real event. They took it extremely seriously. So there's all of those factors. Some of them may be hard for people to believe, but everything I've just mentioned is actually on the record. So like most things in life, it's a combination of reasons why you may have never heard of this. It's the subject that never goes away, but nobody wants to talk about it, right? So, <laughs> yeah, it is. That, that question alone is deeply fascinating. That seems like a great place to leave it, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good Halloween story, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you for giving us a much more digestible look at the extraterrestrial hypothesis. You know, it's a great jumping off point. There's lots of tidbits in there to get people thinking and talking about it. So I just appreciate so much you taking the time to come on the podcast and chat with us. My absolute pleasure. And I, I realize this particular story is seemingly way out there. Yeah, that's good for this particular time of year. And uh, yeah, I, I encourage the healthy skepticism. I encourage people to um, debate this in a friendly way and if you think that it's all complete basic BS, well, then dig into it and prove it. But I think there's something there. And is there anywhere people can go, any resources they can use? I know you said a lot of this information is pretty tightly kept, pretty tightly guarded in terms of what's been released. But is there anywhere people can go if they want to learn more about the Zimbabwe sighting in particular? Yeah, absolutely. The, just for intro's sake, there's a, a brand new documentary film that just came out on Monday, uh, or actually on Tuesday. It's called The Phenomena, and it's written, produced, and directed by a guy named James Fox. And he spends about 15 minutes on this case to give people to sort of whet their appetite, and, and it shows a lot of the, the children as adults, and it, it gives a good overview of that case so you can see that the seriousness that was taken. Also on YouTube, there are a number of clips now released by the John Mack Institute. John Mack is the 
the uh, doctor that interviewed all these children, at least 62 of them on camera. There, there is yet uh, another film coming out solely about this, a full feature-length film. It's, it's a documentary, and it is written and produced by a guy named uh, Randall Nickerson. He has spent 15 years on this, trying to make sure that it's done right. So people are, are taking great care um, with this material. They don't want it to be polluted by the normal stuff. And and so, of course, there there are some articles out there, but very little. There There is, there remains very little on this. You will find that the vast majority of the articles written on this are virtually what we talked about with, a, you know, obviously a little more detail, but some of the witnesses are starting to come out and discuss this more publicly. Mm-hmm. The, the bulk of them, they really have no interest. They've, they've done their interviews on camera and they're like, thank you very much. I don't know what to say there other than, yeah, you can find those, those articles there and, and wait for Randall Nickerson's film to come out. So, and it is called The Aerial Phenomena. But this most recent film, The Phenomena, is deeply fascinating. And by the way, it's, it's a historical overview of the entire subject matter. It's, oh, um, okay. Yeah, I would say it's the definitive film of all time on, on the subject, period. So, yeah, it's worth seeing. For sure, check that out. All right. Well, I will link some of the stuff we talked about today in the episode description. And other than that, good luck, have fun, and don't talk to strangers unless you want to make new friends. Bye.